to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. Thank you. Good morning. How y'all doing? Feels weird to come here and do one service and go home, but I'll tell you what, we're going to have fun. You know, a guy wrote me the other day and said, I went outside the mall and saw a lady crying because she just lost $200. And immediately I felt God tell me, you need to give her $40 out of the 200 you just found. <laughs> he said, when you're blessed, you have to bless others. That's the way some Christians are, right? Well. We're going to have fun today. I'm going to give you the introduction to the book of 1 Peter. You guys, how many have your Bibles? Show me. Good. Mark them up. Get your pen out. We're going to cover a lot of things. What I'm doing, I'll go three weeks in a row. Because I'm old, I'll take a break. I'll do three weeks in a row. I'm old, I'll take a break. Pastor Doug will be in the break every time, and sometimes Nikki. So let's pray, and let's get started. Father God. Anoint the study. Anoint it. Cause it to come forth in the way you want it to come forth. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. I got this shirt on. I'm not a fan of Christian t-shirts, but you'll find out why I have it on in the end. Now, we're studying the book of Peter. When I do Bible studies, I tear these things apart. We're not going to leave a verse unturned. Like today, we're going to get through two verses. That's all we're going to get through. Now, if you have a Bible, write in it. If not, get your notebook out. Let's start off with Hosea 4.6. It says, Hosea 4.6. Are you with me back there? Did I give it to you? Maybe I didn't give it to you. I wanted Hosea 4.6 guy. I'm sorry. I got in a rush, and I must not have given you Hosea 4.6. I'm going to wait a second. I don't know what's going on. Hosea 4.6. Have we got things going? Here we go. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Let's just, just, just take that first one. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Do you have it in the Message Bible? I also gave it to him in the message, but we must be having a little problem with our equipment back there today. We'll get it fixed. Now, that is a problem in the church. I see people going through stuff that shouldn't be going through stuff. I see people going through trials that they shouldn't have to go through if they knew the Word of God. They're going through stuff they shouldn't be going through if they knew how to pray. Now, this letter to Peter was written in A.D. 62 or 64, somewhere in between there. Now, there are some theologians that argue that Peter didn't write this letter. He didn't write this book. 
Why do they believe it? He didn't write it because he was basically uneducated and not scholarly enough to have written this. He was a fisherman. No way, they say. This is, this is a way too articulate for Peter. But I'm wondering, have they ever read Acts 4.13? Look at Acts 4.13. And now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. Amazed. How are these uneducated men doing this? And they recognized them as having been with Jesus. Let's try this one in the Message Bible. They couldn't take their eyes off of them, Peter and John standing there so confident, so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realized that these were two laymen with no training in Scripture or any formal education. They recognized them as being companions of Jesus. Now, I believe Peter wrote the book and for a couple reasons. Number one, he said he wrote it. He says it right there in verse one. Look at verse number one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's writing to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout these places. Aliens. We're aliens. The world doesn't recognize us. They don't know what makes us beat. Well, Peter says he wrote it. Does the Bible lie? I mean, if someone else wrote this book, then they're a bold-faced liar. And if they're a bold-faced liar, then this book is full of lies. Let me ask you a question. If they were a fake or a liar, why did the Holy Spirit put a desire in the scholars who put our holy canon together to put this book in? He wouldn't have done that. He, God would never anoint a liar to write a book in the Bible. Number two, I believe that Peter wrote it because I believe he had help writing it. When you go to write a book, if you're a good author, which I'm not that great, but you always compile people to help you. For example, when I write a book, I get someone, first thing they do is check my grammar, check my punctuation. And then I have somebody read it with fresh eyes. And then I have an editor. I go through all of that. Peter knew how important this letter was, and he wanted to articulate himself very well. And I think he wrote it through someone else. Oh, really? Why do you believe that? Look at chapter 5, verse 12. Through Silvanius, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I've written to you. What? Through Silvanius. He kind of says it right there. So did Peter write the book? Yes. If there's any one disciple that I can relate to, it's Peter. Man, I like this guy. He gives me hope. Well, what do you mean? First of all, he got caught sleeping when he should have been praying. Matthew 26, 40. You read in Matthew 26, Jesus, it was on his mind. Jesus was fully man and fully God. He went to the disciples and he said, you know what? He said, I'm two days away from being handed over to the authorities, and I'm going to be crucified. Here's this fully man part coming out. He said, man, let's have our last supper together. And he didn't call it the last supper, but they ate together. They sung a hymn. He gave him directions. He said, man, the devil's coming after you. You're going to be scattered because I'm going to be crucified. It was on his mind. He couldn't get it off of his mind. And then we'll see in a moment the high priest with a bunch of soldiers come to get him 
to drag him away. He knew, he knew fully what was going to happen. I want to live that way. I want to have some insight. That's why I've asked God to live to 85, and I'll die 85. I want to die at 85. If, if I get that far, I'm going to want to die at 85. Why wouldn't I? Heaven awaits me. My job on earth is done. And so he knew. Now, what did he do? Why do I like Peter? He was sleeping when he should have been praying. Wake up. Over here, wake up, wake up, wake up. The devil's going to take some things away from you if, you if you let him. If you let him. You need to start praying and praying fervently. Wake up, wake up. Maybe he's going to try to take your marriage away from you, your kids' salvation, your health, your ministry, your job, your finances. You need to pray your way through to victory. That's why he gave us prayer. That's why he gave it to us. Next, I like Peter because he was impulsive, and it got him into trouble a lot. Who am I talking to? Mm-hmm. The four Gospels all carry the story of Jesus in the garden. And it says the Jewish high priest came with some soldiers. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are nice enough to say they came, and someone picked up a sword and chopped Malchus's ear off. Peter, I mean, Matthew, Mark, and Luke say someone. John says, hey, it was Peter. It was Peter. He did it. Peter jumps up impulsively, takes the only sword they had. He had to be swinging at the guy's head, but he hit his ear and cut it off. Now, Jesus had to heal the ear, it says in one of the Gospels. I don't know if he picked it back off the ground, put it on. I don't know what he did. Hello. How many ears have you chopped off by being impulsive? How many? You speak too quickly. You jump to conclusions. You don't try to pray things through. You don't sleep on things. I go on and on. I get so many things. And I might come back to it next week, but let's get right to the book right now. Let's look at verse number one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. Who is chosen. Now, let's start off with Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's so wonderful to know your calling for the rest of your life. Now, we all need two things in life, a career and a divine calling. We should work on both of these. When you die, I want everybody in Valley Bible to know your career and your divine calling. For you moms, your divine calling in the next 18, 20 years is to raise those kids. That's probably most of your divine calling. It's not work in the workplace for all of you. It's raising those children. But I want you all to know that. The difference between a divine calling and a career is that one, you get paid a check at the end of the month. The other, you get a reward at the end of your life. We need to have both. Some of you are called to be Sunday school teachers, but you don't know it yet. Some of you are called to be ushers. You mean, Ron, are you trying to tell me that I could be an usher for the rest of my life? Yes, that could be your calling for the rest of your life in the church. A Sunday school teacher for the rest of my life, that could be your calling for the rest of your life. It very well could be. I mean, an usher, you know, you have the ability to change someone's life. An usher. If we did everything with all of our heart, did everything with everything we have, I mean, an usher, you might have somebody coming in going, man, I don't know, is that church not like tattoos? I'm going to try to cover them up. And you come in, and the usher goes, hey, I like your tattoo. What does it say? Let me see it. 
You go, really? I had a guy come up for prayer one day, a young kid, and he came and had his hat down low. They said he wants prayer. I said, your hat looks uncomfortable, bud. It's way down. I said, why don't you take it off? He had a mohawk. He didn't want me to see a green mohawk. He took it off, and I said, you know what? You got guts. I like it. I like it. He said, you like it? I said, yeah, you're yourself, man. You're, you're your own person. I like it. I mean, you're not sure. You can change people's lives. You can say, hey, dude, glad to have you. Say, you're going to come back next week? Well, I don't know. No, come on. Come on. You want to hear this next chapter in Peter, the next verses? Come back. Come on. Tell me you're coming back. Next Saturday. Yeah, you are. Next Saturday, he tells his wife, said, I have to go back. Why? Because I promised the usher I'd go back. And he might come back and get saved that week. Wow. I mean, some of you, you're called to make money to tithe. You know, if you want that ministry, I'll be glad to pray for you. Some of you know how to make money. Great. Tithe 10% of it. God will change the other 90 to 120. You can enjoy that. Let us have the 10. Right now, I want you to begin to think about your ministry. Some of you are called to be leaders and mighty men, mighty women in the youth department. You name it, and it can become a calling for the rest of your life, no matter how big or how small it may be. You want to know a secret? You'll never know your calling until you start experimenting. That's the way you find it. Me, I went to this little church, Potomac, right back here. First thing I started doing is driving the bus and doing the yards, and I did it for a while, and they said, will you please stop? You've broken two water pipes. You've done this. That's not your calling. Then I started driving the bus. I drove the church bus, picked people up. Then I, I, I started doing the CE. I started teaching Sunday school, and that wasn't it. I started doing youth. I did that for a while, and they kicked me out. And I ended up here. You're flunky. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Let's read them together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside aliens scattered throughout these areas, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. A lot of stuff in those two verses. First of all, you're chosen. God does choose. But He doesn't choose arbitrarily like some will teach. God chooses every person on the face of the earth that wants to be chosen. If you want to be chosen, He chooses you. See, if God only chose some to eternal life without merit and others to damnation before they were even born, then He couldn't be the God of love. Some churches in Bakersfield teach that, that God chose people before they were born to either go to hell or heaven, and you've got no say about it. If He was a God of love, and He chose some for eternal life, and therefore if He chooses you, He's going to sovereignly make you love Him. It's, it's got to be. If, if He was a God of love, and He chose one-third, why wouldn't He choose everybody? Amen. If He's going to make them love Him, why not choose everybody? You couldn't be a God of love, and that's a whole different teaching. I don't want to get off on it too much, but when I was in school, we had PE, we'd have sports teams very often. And you'd choose two or four or six captains, and all the students would be here, and the six captains would say, okay, choose your team. You're first, Ronnie. Okay, I want, I want Tory the, 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 the terror. I want him on my team. Tory, come over here. 
The next captain would choose da-da-da. By the way, if you're a school teacher and you still do that, please stop doing that. Do you know how painful that is for the kids that aren't athletically endowed? The kids that are, do you know how painful it is to stand up and say, okay, Johnny, come with me. We got to take you. Somebody's got to take Johnny. Somebody's got to take Susie. That's cruel. It's flat cruel. Don't do that. Choose the teams for them. Well, in the same way, God chooses teams. He says, how many want to be on my team? I do, I do. Okay, come on. I do, I come on, come on, come on. Who else wants me? Okay, come on. I choose everybody who wants to be chosen. That's the way it is. And that's the way God chooses. Chuck Smith one day had fun with this because he had Reformed theology people, different kinds of people in the church. He says, God chooses. As you might be sitting there going, I don't think that's fair that God chooses. Oh, you don't know? Then why don't you accept the Lord today and you'll be chosen? Well, maybe I, maybe I don't want to accept the Lord, then you're not chosen. But I don't think it's fair, then choose the Lord and you'll be chosen. Real simple, huh? Well, I'm going to tell you something. God has chosen every one of you in here. Yes. Look at 1 Timothy 2 and 4. Who desires all men to be saved. How many men does he choose to be saved? All. Say it again. All. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. That, that's God's will. That's his desire right there. Now, the people that don't believe the way I believe, they're going to say, but you don't understand. All there refers not to all. It refers to just the elect. Huh? Let me read that again. They change the word all to support their belief. Can I tell you all is a determiner, is what we call it in the grammar language. It's a determiner, and the words that come after all are clarifiers. If that was referring to the elect, it would say all the elect. That's what it would say. It would have the determiner and the qualifier, the clarifier. When the Bible, because you go in the Greek and it'll say all refers to certain groups of people sometimes, but that's when it has doesn't have a clarifier, or when it does have a clarifier. For example, if it, said, if it said all Gentiles, then it's all Gentiles. If it says all Jews, then it's all Jews. If it says all the elect, then that would make sense the way they want to teach it. But it doesn't. It says all. And all means all. 1 Timothy 4 and 10. For, it is, for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of, of how many men? How many? All men, and especially believers. See, Jesus told us, when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to convict the world of their sins. You know what that means? For a season, everybody in the world has the Holy Spirit convicted them. They can either choose to accept that or not. Everybody in the world has a chance. They're all convicted. For those of us that are here today, we accepted that conviction and said, yes, I want forgiveness. I want God. And we've got to pray our friends and relatives into the kingdom. Now, we are chosen by God. Now, when we look at verse 1 and 2, we'll notice that we're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God for salvation through sanctification. Now, it doesn't say there, we are chosen by God by the foreknowledge of God. That's not where the emphasis is at. It's kind of like a parenthetical phrase. We're all chosen by God by the foreknowledge of God. We're all chosen for salvation through sanctification and obedience. That's what he's trying to say. Don't put the emphasis in the wrong place. 
the obedience here is hooked up to sanctification. Now, listen to me. Most Christians don't understand one thing about sanctification. And we're going to spend some time, the rest of our time here this morning, the next 15 minutes on sanctification. And then we're going to come back next week and pick it up again. It's very important that you understand sanctification because if you don't, you're going to lose a lot of stuff in your ignorance. You're going to have a wrong perspective of the kingdom of God. You're going to suffer needlessly if you don't understand sanctification. Now, here are two important things that will be true in your life if you understand sanctification. Number one, you're going to see problems totally different. Did you know problems are part of God's curriculum to change us? He wouldn't take all the problems out of your marriage today if he could. Amen. He wouldn't. Because he wants us to be sandpaper for one another. For example, the Bible teaches us that a lot of problems are tests. They're tests. Right now, some of you are going through some stuff, and God has his clipboard out. And he's going, okay, let's see what they do. If they pass the test, they'll go to the next level. If they don't, they won't. Look at what Deuteronomy 8 and 2 says. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, number one, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Look at Psalms 26 and 2. Examine me, O Lord, and test me. Test my mind. Test my heart. Look at Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Remember, I told that story years ago, and it wasn't original. An acquaintance of mine used it originally. But how I went to visit a potter in the olden days before they had time clocks and thermostats, and they did pottery the old way. Take a piece of pottery, put, in the, put it in the brick oven, and then... When it was through, they'd take it out and decorate it. And he said, I want to know, how do you know when the pottery's finished? He said, so it's simple. You take it out every once in a while and thump it. If it gives a ring to it, then you know it's through. If it thud, it's not. In the same way, God puts us through the fiery tests in life. And he'll put us through them, and he'll take us out and thump us, and we'll go, hey, I don't know what's wrong. I'm a Christian. This shouldn't be. He puts us right back in the oven. <laughs> Let you go a while, takes you out, thumps you. go, I think this is a stupid Christian. Should Back in the oven. Let you go for a while, takes you out. I still think this is stupid, and I'm not even going to be a Christian anymore. Puts you back in the oven, keeps doing that, till one day he thumps you real hard, and you go, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Some of you wonder, why do I keep going through the same old thing over and over again? Because you keep reacting the same old way. And God's going to keep putting you in till you come out singing praises. He wants proven character in your life. Sometimes he will allow problems to stay in our life to see if we're going to gripe and complain or if we're going to give up and stop going forward or if we're going to go into depression or we're going to go back to sin. See, some people keep going back to their old sin when, when it gets to be tough. God doesn't exist anymore. God doesn't love me. No way. No, you're to keep praising your way through it. Read the testimony of a guy today who had cancer. He was given a short time to live. And he said, he got on this diet, this godly diet that God gave him and all this stuff. And he kept praising God. He said, that's the only alternative I have. 
Went back to the doctor three months later, still dying. Three months later, still dying. But he stuck to it, kept praising God, praising God. Went back a year later, and all his cancer was gone. Not saying that'll happen for everyone. So God tests us, saying, are they going to give up? Are they going to stop going forward? Are they going to give up in depression? Or will they start rejoicing and show the world what a big God I am? God allows problems to come into our life in order to test us, in order to refine us, in order that we can relate to other people and show them the way. I give a ramus someone right here, right now. Someone's going through a real pretty good-sized problem right now. And you're wanting to know why, why, why. It's not for you. It's for those around you. They're supposed to see your big God, and you're supposed to display Him. Isn't it wonderful to see somebody going through something, and they have faith before they even know what's going to happen. Say, my God will take care of me. My God's got this. He's got it, man. I'm telling you, He's got it. He's got it. If you knew some of the times some of the stressful things I'm going through, but I know my God's got it. He's got it. He's got it. He's got it. You don't worry when God's got it. Number two, if you understand this correctly, you won't try to pray every problem away. Instead of trying to pray it away, you'll start seeking God to say, what kind of lesson am I supposed to learn in this? And then he'll take it away at the appropriate time. That would be your first priority. Look at these verses. Look at 2 Timothy 2.21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things... He'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified. So what is sanctified here? It's a vessel of honor that's used, prepared for good works. In this verse, a sanctified person is someone who's separated themselves from a lot of things. They're not living the way the world's living. And they're now ready for good works. God's going to find you. It says in Chronicles that eyes go, God's eyes go to and fro looking for someone whose heart's completely his. And when he finds them, he'll put them to work. Ah. Now, Anything that hinders our walk with God, we must separate ourselves from so God can employ us in His kingdom. For example, I used dirty dishes before. You don't put clean food in dirty dishes. Now, today, some of you are going to go home. You're going to prepare lunch. Now, hopefully, you're not going to go in the sink full of dirty water and pull some dishes out and put them over the table. Take some silverware. I don't even clean. You set it over and say, okay, let's eat. And if you do do that, tell me because I'm never coming to your house for dinner. You heard of the guy one time, lived in the backwoods, and uh, no running water. He invited a guest to come and eat, and as the guest was eating, he kind of got a little, you know, oh, how does he wash dishes here? He said, Matthew, don't mind me asking, you know, how do you wash dishes here? He said, oh, with soap and water. Oh, thank goodness. He ate his meal, man, licked his fork here, put it down. He said, okay, <whistles> come here, soap, come here, water. Put the dishes down, and they <laughs> cleaned them. That's old. You got to put up with me. Thank you. Thank you. Be that as it may. Be that as it may. When I went down to Bolthouse uh, Farms here one time, I told you, uh, sanctification, a beautiful picture, is I watched these dirty carrots come in a truck. They dumped them on the conveyor belt. They'd ride along and they'd hit them with water and go, shh, shh. Those carrots probably thought, what the heck? Shh. And then they would go a little further, and they start shaking them dry. <laughs> what? And they'd go a little further, and the air machines would come up. <laughs> and then the water again. And God said, that's the picture of sanctification. That's what I do with everyone who I, who I receive. 
Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. This process will never stop. And we won't get to all of it today. We'll have to come back next week. But he's going to sanctify you entirely. He's never going to stop. You're always going to be in the sanctification process. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame till the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The more you're sanctified, the more it changes who you are. It doesn't just change your actions. It's who you are. Remember again that the red balls of clay, you get tired of hearing about the red ball is man unredeemed. The blue ball comes from heaven. They join together and slowly become a purple ball. The more purple you become, the more you change. See, I'm not up here ad-libbing. It's just who I am. I've walked with God for, what, 50, 50, almost 50 years now. See, now listen to me. This is really good. Some people are more purple than others. Those of us who are more purple must be patient with those who have a lot of red left in them. Remember the balls of clay being mashed together. The church is supposed to be all about love, acceptance, and forgiveness. All about it. There are people in this building today all at different stages of growth. For example, church is way too judgmental. Don't judge someone by the way they dress when they come in here. They're young Christians. I can't believe it, Charlie. What? Look at the way they're dressed. They come to church with a beer shirt on. I cannot believe it. Look at that crop top. She's got a crop top on. You can see her belly button. Charlie, we're moving across the church. Well, if that turns Charlie on, you've got a bigger problem than you think. He needs deliverance. If a belly button turns Charlie on. Do you get it? For years, nobody knew it, but I bought all my shirts at, at a woman's dress shop in the mall. Well, one's the cheaper. Another one is they have the higher sleeves, and I worked out a lot. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you have it, you, you can show it off. I'm, some of you have it. I mean, I don't have it anymore, so I wear long sleeves. <laughs> but I can just see someone going, Charlie. He's got a woman's shirt on. I saw that at Petri's. I saw that shirt. That dude's shopping at a women's store. Hey, I was young in the Lord. I didn't know any better. I wore a t-shirt for three years that had a gay slogan on some about surfboards and woody board. I don't know what they were. And I was proud of it. And I had guys winking at me in the car wash. And, and I, I didn't know it. Somebody told me, Dad, you know that's a gay shirt? And I said, Really? I wore this for three years as my favorite T-shirt. <laughs> I knew he was into some odd stuff. I knew it, Charlie. <laughs> Listen to me closely. There's many young Christians among us that do things and say things that they won't be doing and saying in five years if we give them time to grow without running them off. They're still growing. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now I'm going to get off another idea here, and I'll start wrapping this up for today. What he's trying to say to us here, Jesus is, is the more we know the truth of the word, the more we'll set ourselves aside from stuff that interferes with God's will. 
The world is turning on. For example, one of my favorite verses, it's right here in this text. Let's look three verses ahead. Look at verse number five. We are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. Now, this verse has a twofold meaning. It means protect spiritually, obviously, but I think it has a secondary meaning, protect even physically. See, it's important to God that you and I remain on this earth until our job's done. In order to do that, he wants us protected physically also. But you have to employ faith to do it. And if you don't, you probably won't be protected by the power of God. I'll give you an example. We used to have offices on H Street downtown, a real rough area. And I'm just going to tell you the way it was. One night, it was a Saturday night, I was doing my sermon, and late at night, about 10 o'clock, I drove over there. Everything was dark. There was no lights on. And I started to get out of my car. I had a, a book in my office upstairs, and it had one entryway at the bottom. And I started to get out, and I'm telling you now, Holy Spirit spoke to me so real. He said, do not go in that office right now. I heard it. It staggered me. I go, what? The shoe got? Don't go in. I said, Why? Why? And I sit there, for 15 minutes, I'm going, God, I don't know why in my spirit I feel unrest about going to that office. I don't know why, but God, it's getting late. I got to preach. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And as I continued to pray, in about 20 minutes, some dude jumped out of the bushes three foot from the door and took off running. He was there the whole time. And God knew it. And I was sensitive enough to hear God's voice. You're protected. Now listen, you're protected by the power of God through faith. This is huge. You say, well, Ron, I, I don't get it. What do you mean? Uh, I cherish being close to the Holy Spirit. I cherish those moments when my kids say, I'm going on a trip with, with Joe and Mary. Uh, I'm 19 years old, and eight, 17 years old, whatever. I'm going to go on a trip with them. And something in me goes, I don't think so. I don't know why I was praying about it this morning. I don't know why you're going to have to trust me. And say they get in a wreck and two of them's killed or what, you go, wow. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sanctify them in the truth of the word. Sanctify them in the truth of the spirit. I need to be on good terms with God. Because the Bible says sin separates you from fellowship. It can save my life. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to separate myself from anything, anything that might grieve the Holy Spirit. And the more I know the truth, and the more I relish it, and the more I love it, the more I'm going to separate myself from things that displease God. We got in this because I want to do something very special in the end. Thank Thessalonians 2.13. This will be the last verse I read. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit of faith and truth. Again, what's the emphasis here? That we're chosen by God. From the beginning, it's like parenthetical. Don't, don't get carried off on that. You've been chosen by God for salvation through sanctification. Oh, I got so much to say about sanctification. Another very misunderstood verse. I wore this t-shirt for a reason. I am not a fan of Christian t-shirts at all. And I'm probably one of the worst fans of Christian music and Christian t-shirts. I like praise. But I sell this t-shirt and I, I told the guys make 50 of them. If you buy them, we'll, we'll make more. But I want this on my shirt 
Jesus saved my life. If you wanted to come and see Ron Vietti today, if it wasn't for Jesus, you would visit him in Hillcrest Mortuary. I would be dead if it wasn't for Jesus. He showed me how to get through one cancer. He shows me, and if any more cancers that come, he'll show me how to get through every one. I would be divorced today, depressed today, probably on drugs or alcohol today, because I know me. I'm very addictive personality. But instead, I have a wife that I love more every year. I'm with her. I have children that are all in ministry. I am alive, and I'm going to be alive until 85, I believe. So get used to it, not going anywhere for a while. Jesus saved my life. If you want to buy them out there, We'll give them, give them to you for $9.99 today. Maybe throw in a crock pot, crock pot to some of you. I'll buy it. two today. Two, three. No. They're there if you want them. If you buy them, I'll make some more, okay? I want people to see this. What do you mean by that T-shirt? I am so glad you asked. I got so much more to say, but we're going to end here today because I want to do something very special as we go out. Let's pray this right here, and then we're going to come back and do something. Father God, I want to thank you today for the word you've laid on my heart, for the book and the Bible you've laid on my heart. If anyone here today has never been born again, you don't remember a moment in time when you said, Holy Spirit, come live in my body and take over. If you don't remember that moment, then you're probably not saved. A moment in your life when you said, today I give the controls over to Jesus. Holy Spirit, come live in my body. I am yours to get rid of stuff you don't like, put stuff in you. Right now, I want you to do me a favor. I'm only going to ask you to do one thing, only one thing only. Raise your hand very boldly and humble yourself. Say, I need God. I'm not right with him. I need God. Just raise your hand wherever you're at. I know there's some here. Raise your hand. Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? I can't hardly see out there because of the lights. Yes, God bless you. I see some hands going up. I see them. I see them in the back. I see them over here. I see them here. I want everybody that raised your hand, and even if you didn't raise your hand, pray a very bold prayer with me and choose to believe in it. Say, Lord God, today I come to you. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our